Welcome to The Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. Hey, how's it going out there, everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. Jamie Eads joining you as always. This is episode 82. I hope everybody's having a fantastic week out there in Drumland. We certainly are over here at the Drum Shuffle World Headquarters. I have a great interview for you today. Uh, this interview was recorded on Veterans Day with a veteran of the United States Navy and the Naval Band. Um, which was pretty cool, but I'm going to be joined in just a moment by the great Joe McCarthy, and you are going to love this interview. It's a fantastic conversation right after this message from our sponsor, Los Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Los Cabos Drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Los Cabos Drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand and they are coming to a retailer near you. With operations in over 28 countries worldwide, thousands of drummers have already discovered the Los Cabos difference. Using FSC certified wood from Canada and the US, Los Cabos make the finest quality drumsticks, percussion tools, and accessories on the market. The best news, Los Cabos Drumsticks offers you a ton of choice. They have 22 individual drumstick models and 14 percussion tools, many of which are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Red hickory comes from the center or heart of the hickory tree and has been independently proven to be both stronger and more elastic than white hickory without adding a lot of weight. While most drumstick manufacturers have shunned red hickory, Los Cabos Drumsticks has embraced it becoming the only established stick brand in the world to offer a full line of red hickory drumsticks. To learn more about Los Cabos Drumsticks, visit them online at loscabosdrumsticks.com, follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and don't forget to ask for Los Cabos Drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the red hickory revolution with Los Cabos Drumsticks. All right, guys and girls, as I mentioned, we're about to be joined by the great Joe McCarthy. Uh, Joe is the leader of the New York Afro Bop Alliance Big Band, and they have a brand new record that just hit the streets called Upwards. Uh, it is a fantastic listen. I encourage all of you guys to go out there and grab it. Uh, but what struck me so much about my conversation with Joe is this is a working drummer. He has played with just everybody in the jazz world, um, but he has so much great knowledge to share. This is the kind of person that you want to seek out. And, and even if it's not just take a lesson from, it's just to sit down and talk and say, tell me what to do to make my career better. Joe is just a consummate professional, a veteran, um, knows what's going on. So I was really pleased to get him on the drum shuffle. So please help me welcome to the show, Joe McCarthy. Hey, good evening, Joe. How's it going today? It's great, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks so much for taking time to do it. I certainly do appreciate it. And uh, 
being that we are recording this episode on Veterans Day, uh, let me say thank you so much for your service in the United States Navy. Um, we will certainly talk about your experience there in the band, but happy Veterans Day to you, Joe. Thank you very much. It's, uh, it was an honor and privilege, and uh, my, uh, my thoughts go out to everyone else as well, too, who have served. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a special holiday around these parts for sure. So, um, Joe, what we typically do here on the Drum Shuffle is we ask our guests to kind of start at the beginning. Um, tell us all where you grew up and how you got into music and drumming to begin with. Sure. Um, I, I grew up in a town in Connecticut called Meriden. And um, I actually uh, am one of those guys that probably falls into the category, uh, into the category of a sort of late starter. Um, I played when I was, um, gosh, I think I started in middle school, but I I wasn't really, I wasn't taking lessons at that time. And I was just kind of doing what a lot of kids do. I was playing in the band and um started taking lessons, I think, maybe towards the end of middle school into high school. But it wasn't really until, oh gosh, I think maybe it was my sophomore year. Maybe I think my sophomore year in high school, I I, I had a teacher, I had a friend recommend a teacher to me to go see. Um, His name is Art Peretta. He's passed now. But um, when I started studying with Art, that, that was kind of what I would consider really to be the beginning for me. And um, Art, Art was uh, uh, very uh, intelligent. Uh, he was an old school bebop guy, uh, but he was classically trained. He actually also played in the in the Navy band too. Oh wow! Uh, a long time ago. Yeah. Well, and, that's, um, that's cool. Yeah, he was actually one of the instructors at the School of Music many many years ago, and uh, <clears throat> I started studying with him and. Uh, <laughs> And he actually said to me, you know, you need to go to music school, and uh, which I hadn't even thought of. And, and my, my parents really had thought of that. And um, a- after I studied with him, he was, um, had a very close association with uh, Alexander Leepak, who was my, my teacher at the Hart School of Music. And um, Mr. Leepak had a, a, a very, very, uh, very wonderful career as, as a teacher and had a, a very impressive has a very impressive list of students. And um, I, at that point, I, I never really thought that, you know, there was any way that I would ever be able to get into the, at that time it was called the Hart School of Music. Um, also because of the fact that I really didn't have any classical training either. And, and when you studied with Mr. Leepak, you studied everything. Yeah. So you studied classical percussion, played some drum set, you know, you do, you, you basically did whatever, uh, was on his agenda, and um, and and somehow I got in there, and, and I'm not exactly, still not exactly sure how I did, <laughs> but um, I I got in, and and when I heard all of the other guys that I would later become so close with, and and still am, I was like, man, I'm I'm in trouble. <laughs> so uh, so I I basically locked myself uh, in any of the practice rooms that were available over the course of the next four years. And um, I was also, even though Mr. Leepak didn't, didn't know about it at the time, and um, he's passed now, so I, I can tell this story, and, I, and he won't give me any uh, you-know-what about it, but um, I, was, uh, I was also studying with Ed So, 
um, uh, take going and taking uh, lessons with him while I was at heart, but they were kind of uh, had to kind of keep those two separate um, because they, they had uh, very sort of different approaches to teaching and, and all that kind of stuff. And that was just kind of not the right thing to do at that point. But Ed was um, uh, one of the most, another person who was extremely influential uh, to me. And um, he was living at that time. He was, I think he was living in New Haven and um, he was teaching at a drum shop in Hartford, but then he would go and play with a big band. So I, I could take a lesson with him and then I could go listen to him play, which was, you know, I had already heard him on a bunch of records and stuff. But when I started, started, you know, uh, going and listening to him after I would get destroyed in my lessons, I was like, <laughs> oh, OK, now now this is starting to make sense to me. And, and it was the same thing with Mr. Leapak. Mr. Leapak played in the Hartford Symphony for 50 years. And um, I, I started to learn that, you know, I, the, the importance of, of people that were not only great, great players, but, but they, were, they were people that understood how to convey their knowledge, yeah. which has really, which is the reason that I started teaching, you know? Yeah. Because, uh, you know, what, once that started happening, I was like, you know, things were making a lot more sense to me. And, and I, I really understood because I think all of us at some point um, run into people that um, can't really convey what needs to be conveyed. And um, so that that was a big um, those, you know, both of those teachers really planted that very firmly in me and um, has really been a huge part of, you know, my whole thing now. Um, as I try to move forward and, and, and help people that come to me. Well, you know, I, I, and I think this is a little bit of an interesting sidebar. You said something there, and I want to explore this for just a second. You know, there are lots of guys that are great teachers that, that can teach the instrument and teach you everything you need to, to know. But I think that sometimes there's a missing link if your teacher doesn't also gig in some way, some fashion. Because I think when you go sit down and take a lesson for any instrument, but then, you know, that weekend you can go see your teacher playing in his band or in an orchestra or something like that. There is definitely a connect the dot moment there. W wouldn't you agree with that? I, I 1000 percent, because if you think about it this way. It, it's you're studying music to learn how to play an instrument. Okay. Now uh, you, you had mentioned something to me earlier before we had started about the whole YouTube thing, you know? Right. And, and I, I think, and, and for me, you know, and I'm kind of an old fart and, and, you know, I've gotten to a point in my life where I'm not, you know, I, I don't have any problem with expressing my opinions. And um, I, I think that people, uh, the immediacy of, of where we live today has really been, uh, has caused a lot of problem for those of us that teach. And um, I think that, you know, if you're taking lessons with somebody and they're showing you how to play an instrument and they're not playing that instrument with other people, there's usually a reason for that. <laughs> and, I, and I'm going to, and I'm going to, I'm going to leave it at that, you know, sure. and, I, and I know a lot of people and, 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 you know, maybe they're doing it uh, face to face and they might even be doing it on the internet where they're, teaching 5,000 students, um, but they might not be making music with anybody else. And it's like, why are we learning how to play this instrument? Are we learning how to play this instrument so we can be a solo drum set player? 
well, if you can make a living doing that, God bless you. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of a cool thing. But when we learn how to play our instruments, one of the most, most, most important things is being able to make music with other people, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, and that, you know, that is absolutely imperative. It's not, you know, oh, by the way, it's like, if you don't, if you don't understand that component of, of why you're doing this, then, then someone, there's a, there's a extreme disservice at that point, you know? Oh, uh, I do know. And, you know, I, mean, yeah. I, I, I was bemoaning the fact with, you know, an, another drummer buddy just not too long ago that it used to be, if you talk to anybody in the music business, the industry, as, as we colloquially say, you know, sure. record label types or, you know, e- even, you know, when you're seeking endorsements or something like that, it used to sure, be sure. they they wanted, you know, a picture of you and, you know, a, a CD from your band or whatever. Now it's almost always the first question that's asked is how many Instagram followers do you have? And I, God, I, God bless that comment. It's like I have, you know, it, it's so funny. You know, we the band, let's see, what is this? I think this is our, I should know this. This is our seventh album, I think. And um, I... I'm so terrible at social media and you know, it's like, I've got this band that that's got a little bit of a reputation and we've done some things. And I just hired a a young guy to do some social media for me. And within four days, he has reached more people than I've reached in about 10 years. (laughs) And, and, and you know what? It's really funny. He said something to me and, and I never thought about this. It's like, the whole electronic world, that's like this whole new skill set, like learning how to play an instrument. You know what I mean? It really is. It's like managing social media is a skill that I absolutely don't have. I don't know that I want to have it, but I think that, um, the, uh, you know, like when you're getting hired for gigs or for instance, if someone, if you're looking to get a gig for the band, you know, I, I, you know, I lived in New York for quite a while and I've had club owners just very honestly say to me, we don't care what the band sounds like. How many people are going to be in the club? <laughs> you know, yeah, I this do. is New York city, you know, and there's some, there's some pretty good bands in here, you know? Yeah. And, and, and that's where we are right now. So it's, it's kind of, it's a, it's a tough market, not only on the teaching front, but on the playing front, you know? Yeah, I, I do. And, you know, as a gigging musician, it, it's very true. And, you know, I mean, there, there's a running joke on the show. Um, you know, the great Rod Morgenstein was a guest at one time and he was talking about the Dixie Dregs playing at the Exit Inn in Nashville in 1975, I think. And he said, you know, I think we were making 500 bucks. And I said, well, you know, isn't that funny because they still pay 500 bucks for a show at the Exit Inn in Nashville <laughs> 45 years later, Um, you know, and the reason that's kind of a running joke is because people don't care how good you are. It's can I sell, you know, beer or or shots of whiskey or how many people can I get in here? How many people can pay the cover charge so that I can pay the electric bill at the end of the month? So the reason why musician wages have stayed stagnant for half a century is because there's always another band that will take the gig cheaper. That's just you are absolutely right. You know, that's that's just a fact. Um, It is. 
And, and, you know, I don't want to turn this into a get off my lawn, you pesky kids kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, the the whole social media thing, um, you know, I'm a Gen Xer. And so, you know, I've seen the advent of this technology, but I've got friends that are younger than me that they spend all day promoting their band or their career through social media. I simply don't have the bandwidth to be able to do it. And you know what I also think, you know, and I know we, you, you are right. We could talk about it forever. I, I really think that, you know, and for me, being a little bit older, it also comes down to priorities. And, and my wife is quite a bit younger than I am. And she, you know, she totally gets it. But it's like, listen, am I going to go out to the garage and shed or am I going to sit behind this computer and get you know what? No, I'm going out <laughs> to the garage. Right. And I'm going to play the drops because that, that's more important to me. And so, you know, has that hurt my career from, um, uh, like, the uh, sustainability of my calendar? Maybe. Maybe it has. But um, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, what am I going to be spending my time doing? And it's not going to be a lot of that stuff. Yeah, I I, I totally hear you. Well, so, you know, kind of back to your story, that was an interesting sidebar. And thank you for indulging me on that. But kind of getting back to your history, um, you know, I, I know that, um, you know, University of North Texas w- was part of, you know, your life. Um, obviously, it, it goes without saying that if you play drums and you go to the University of North Texas, you know what you're doing. How did you end up there? Was that just kind of the next yep. logical progression? Well, no, no, actually it wasn't. So, so basically what happened was, is, you know, I, I told you that I was, had been taking lessons with Ed, with Ed Sill. Right. So Ed, so this, this, I'm so old that this is when Ed first started teaching full time at North <laughs> Texas. That's how old I am. And he just retired. So you could do the math from that. But, um, so he was, um, he left town, he and his wife, uh, moved cause you know, he got the gig, the full time gig to be the drum set teacher down there. And of course he had already been a student there and done his whole thing there. So I, um, I finished up at heart and of course I was like, you know, I'm never going to go back to school again. And now I'm going to be this, uh, uh, amazing musician. And then I realized, you know, as I told you earlier with my late start is like, you know, I still have a lot of work to do. So, um, I finished school and I was hanging around in, in the Hartford area, just, you know, playing and, and doing whatever. And, um, and then I, I was, I spoke to Ed on the phone and, you know, he said, you know, why don't you come down here and get your master's, you know? And, and of course I, I wanted to continue studying with him because I had learned so much from him and he had, you know, really opened my eyes, you know? So, um, I went to North Texas and, and again, I, I did it in a, in sort of a different way because, uh, when I graduated from Hart, I had a, a degree, but I had a degree in percussion. Okay. And um, I, I, when I went to North Texas, I, I really, really did not want to get another bachelor's degree because I, I didn't want to be in school for the rest of my life, you know. So I, um, I applied to North Texas. Uh, uh, Dr. Shitroma was running the percussion program at that point, and I called him, and I, um, you know, what I really, my, my real intent was to get my drum set playing together. But, you know, because of my studying with Mr. Leepak, he had really instilled in all of us, which really kind of saved my rear end throughout my career, was having this, um, like, you know, genuine versatility to where, and I'm not saying that in an arrogant way, but I'm, 
you know, being able to play classical percussion and then be able to sit down and play some drums, whatever it was that you needed to do, you would be able to do it. And that was the way that I was trained. So I figured, okay, I'm going to continue studying uh, percussion, but I'm going to take lessons with soap, you know, and then that way I can and just make sure that both of these things are growing. And then whatever it is that I need to do when I get out of school, then everything is going to be cool and, and I'll, I'll be able to play some drums and I can still play percussion. And, and it was kind of an interesting thing because when I was still at heart, one of the summers I went to the, um, I was accepted to the Aspen Music Festival, which is a, a classical summer thing, you know. And, um, and it was really a cool thing because the summer that I went, there were like some very, very heavy, heavy percussionists there, all of which have major symphony gigs and have gone on to have amazing careers. But um, one of the teachers there, Doug Howard, uh, was the principal percussionist in the Dallas Symphony. So I started subbing with the Dallas Symphony which was like an amazing thing. You know, it's like this dude is, you know, I'm, all the guys from SMU where he taught, these guys were like hardcore classical guys. And even though I could play classical, I would much rather be, you know, spending my time playing drum set. But, you know, I was understanding the importance of learning how to play in a symphony orchestra and, and, and ended up being on, on one of the records, you know, one of the Dallas Symphony records and, it just gave me, it just really broadened my perspective, you know? Sure. Uh, and um, so the North Texas thing, I think probably the best part of my education there was when I was at Hart, Hart was a very small community, even though a very talented pool, but just a lot, the numbers were lower. Then I get to North Texas and there's over 200 drummers now. So... And the beautiful thing about when I was there was the guys that were there. I mean, my God, everybody was there when I was there. You know, um, Jim White was there. Keith Carlock was there. Jim Riley was there. Jason Sutter was there. You know, all these guys that, that I became quite friendly with, a lot of them. And it, it really kind of opened up my palate because I had a chance to, like, hear all of these guys play all the time, in addition to me trying to play as much as I could. And I, I would say that, you know, coming from uh, a, a much more condensed pond, if you will, and being in like a conservatory type environment at heart, and then going to North Texas, which is just like this enormous factory where the level was, you know, because I was teaching when I was there. So I was getting my master's. I was one of the teaching fellows. So I was giving lessons and I was able to just really... Um, get very involved in sort of the academic end of it. We, we rewrote the curriculum when I was there, and um, a lot of the guys that I was teaching with, um, Eric Johnson, the guy who runs Innovative Percussion, he was my roommate. You know, it's like, uh, it, it, was, it was an amazing time, you know? And um, I, I learned so much stuff, and it, it didn't really, like, start to distill until a few years later, because... Even when I was at North Texas, I still had only been playing seriously for like four or five years, you know? Yeah. So um, when I was in Dallas, after I graduated from North Texas, the, the, the most hilarious thing is I ended up getting a college teaching job. And, <laughs> okay. Uh, so, yeah, so there you go. And, and it was a recommendation from my teachers at North Texas, you know? So all of a sudden I'm, you know, six or seven or eight years later, now I'm teaching on the collegiate level and doing some stuff around, uh, around Dallas and, and all that stuff. And at that point, 
that was when I, um, uh, I, I at that time, I'm, I'm remarried now, but um, my, my, in my first marriage, um, uh, we had gone to undergrad together, and, and she was also from the East Coast, and uh, we uh, had decided that we wanted to go back to the East Coast, and one of the guys that I went to college with was in the Naval Academy band in Annapolis. And he called me and he said, you know, um, we have an opening. Do you, you want to come and audition for the band? And, and it was something that I never, ever considered doing. You know, like a lot of times when you're in college, guys are always like, you know, I'm going to get into one of the service bands and all this stuff. I'm like, man, I'm not doing that. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to move to New York. Well, uh, my, my ex-wife um, had, no, had no interest in going to New York. <laughs> so I was like okay, well, I got to come up with another plan. So it's like, all right, well, I guess I'm, I'm going to go and take that audition. And I did. I went to take the audition and I got the job. That's when the next phase kicked in. <laughs> right. Well, and you ended up serving 20 years in, in the United States Navy. So, you know, again, thank you for your service. But, you know, I, one of the things that, that always rings in my head whenever I think about, you know, the military bands, okay, the one thing I always land on is Steve Gadd played in the U.S. Oh, yeah. Army Band. And yeah. if it was good enough for Steve Gadd, it should surely be good enough for any other drummer, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm, at, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, you know, there's, you know, there's some people that are knowledgeable about the bands, and there's a lot of people that really don't know a lot about them. In, in the, the Naval Academy band was, you know, in the D.C. corridor with all the other bands, you know. And um, I, I, I've got to tell you, they're, they're, they're collectively, they're, without a doubt, are some of the greatest musicians in the world. And the level that we were expected to play at was as high as any group anywhere. And, um, and when you're around musicians all the time that play that well, it does, it, the thing that I noticed, it did one of two things. It either inspired you or it made you just check out. Yep, and and right. I, I, I really realized that, like with a lot of the older players, guys that like me that came in, you know, just absolutely full of fire. And I, I was working harder. I was practicing and working harder than I ever was in my life. And it was like some of the older players just absolutely could not stand me. <laughs> because the only thing I was interested in was, was getting better. Right. You know, and that was it, you know, and that's actually where Afrobop started was when I was in the Navy. You no, know? really. And, um, yes. And, and that band, the band that we won the Grammy with was all military band guys, except like two or three guys. No kidding. That's yeah. awesome. Okay. Yeah, cool. Really? Yep. Yep. Okay. And so, well, you know, so like, so I, I don't want to put too fine a point on this, but I do want to make sure we say this, that you guys won a, uh, a was it a Latin Grammy for the Latin Jazz Album of the Year? Is is that yeah, right? That's exactly. Yeah, okay. that is right. And then and, and with that particular record, um, we also got nominated for the Grammys, too. And um, so, you know, we went we won the Latin Grammy um, and then we went to the Grammys and we did not win the Grammy. Um, but we were one of the four final bands. Um, and that was, you know, it was an amazing thing. And, and in this year, with Dave Samuels just passing away, who is a dear friend and, and someone that I have an enormous amount of respect for, 
I, I look back at that time, um, and, and I can't not relate it to being in the band because if, if I wasn't in the academy band, I don't know that I would have started Afrobop. I don't know that I would have had the chance to play with Dave because Dave came and played with us a bunch of times. Um, in D.C., and we developed a, a great relationship. And, and this whole, that whole big band idea for that record was mine. And, um, and, and I was like, you know what? You know, a lot of this Caribbean jazz music, Caribbean jazz project music, so amazing that with the colors and textures of a big band and the colors and textures in Dave's writing and his whole harmonic conception, there was no way that that wasn't going to work, you know, in my mind. Yeah, And because of all the guys that, that I was surrounded with, all of the writers and the arrangers and the players, that's the only way that that record came to, to fruition the way that I heard it in my head. And, um, you know, if, if I wasn't in the band, even though the band really had nothing to do with Afrobop, it's like, I don't know if it would have happened. You know? So that all of that came together. And, of course, it was a, sort of a blessing um, and then a curse at the same time because, you know, so we win the, Grab, the Latin Grammy and, and I'm still active duty in the Navy and I'm getting calls from all over the world for the band to tour and to do all these things and we couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> right. You had to stay I had a, close. I had, a, I had a family. I had young kids and I wasn't as, as excited as I was about that happening. I wasn't going to you know, abort the family mission just to, you know, go and do that. So I think in, in, in me being brutally honest and looking in hindsight, you know, that, that hurt the trajectory of the band, you know, but I, I couldn't do it at that time. And it was, um, you know, and obviously we made records after that and, you know, um, you know, whether or not we win another Grammy really to me has nothing to do with anything, but you know, all of these things, you know, if we look at everything, you know, through the universe, you know, all of these things happened the way they did for a reason. And, you know, and now coming up on record number or, yeah, this the new release being record number seven. Now I live in, you know, outside of New York and the band is all New York musicians. And this record sounds completely different than every other record we did because the guys in New York play completely different. Uh, I play different than when I was younger. I have my whole mindset about the band and about life is completely different. And it's like, it's just music is so amazing because, you know, regardless of, you know, like when you and I were talking earlier about the whole paradiddle thing and all that, it's like, and, you know, when I play the drums now, it's like as my, my reasoning and, and everything is completely different now. I, I do things for, I have a, a, a much different purpose, I feel behind the drums and, and I'm really going to be curious to see, you know, if people dig this record or, you know, I mean, I, I'm not like a drum gymnastics kind of guy and, and I don't, I don't, you know, like when people are always talking about the way drummers play technically and all that kind of stuff, I don't think about any of that stuff. You know I mean? I just play the drums and, you know, hopefully it, you know, it makes the band sound good and, and, you know, whether it, you know what I mean? No, I it, do. It's just, I, I, it's just—it's just a different lens right now. You know? Well, and and that's the cool thing about music and, and recordings, especially. You know, I've said this many, many times. When you go do an album or a song or or whatever set you're putting together, whatever paradigm you're using, right? Um, 
it is just a snapshot in time of where that group is as players, basically. Yep. And and it's absolutely conveying yep. the emotions that are being felt at that time. Now, yep. two things that I want to say here, okay, and, and I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't. Number one, as a voting member of the Recording Academy, so I get to vote on the Grammys, first of all, even being nominated for a Grammy is a huge, huge accomplishment to be recognized by your peers in the industry. That's that's number one. Number two in that is the new record I've listened to. You may get a nod for this one because it's a really darn good record. Let me just say that. Um, I appreciate it. You know what? I really feel that I... I, I almost didn't, I, I was, I was almost ready to hang the band up. You know, I, I got, I got married, I got remarried about a year ago. And the woman that I married, Angelica, this, this woman not only so, saved my soul, but she, I, I can say that she saved Afropop because <laughs> I was about ready to, to, to throw, just throw in the towel. I was like, I'm done with this. I'm not, you know, like the, what we had talked about with the social media thing and all that stuff. It's like, I, this has been a one man, I'm not going to say show because, you know, I, I don't know that it classifies as a show, but it's like, you know, when you do everything yourself, you know, and, and it, it's like, it gets to the point that the last thing you have time for is to get back behind the drums. It's like, you know, why am I doing this? Yeah. But, but, but then, but then I started thinking about, you know, why I started the band in the first place. And it's like, you know, it's also like when people are saying, you know, you know, why do you make big band records? That's, that's insane. You know, it costs a lot of money and all that stuff. And it's like, but I, I, when I think about the band and I think about big band music, I almost think of it as, um, it's, I feel like it's sort of my job, not just me personally, but it's like, I want to see big band music go in a different direction, you know? Yeah. And I want to see it. It was just like, you know, when the earlier bands made their marks, and and I really feel that this record for Afropop is like another departure because, you know, we I, I was involved in some of the arranging for some of these tunes and the music is just different than, than a lot of the music we've done. It's not all straight up Afro-Cuban. It's like, you know, there's some funky stuff and there's some whatever, however you want to classify it. I don't know how to classify it, but um, I, I, I think that that, that's that's the real reason why this stuff is happening. And, and that was the reason I was like, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to have the gas to do another one after this one. But it was like, you know what? I've got to do this at least one more time. Recording the band in New York, which is where I, I had always envisioned the band being. And, and not only geographically, but also just sonically, because the guys in New York play different than the guys in D.C. The guys in D.C. that play in military bands, and I include myself in this pile, we are, or I should say were for me, because I don't do it anymore, but you were required to play as close to perfect as possible. Right. And, and however that needed to, to be taken care of was on you, you know? Yeah. And when you listen to a lot of the military bands, you know, a lot of people think, you know, I mean, like when we made those records, you know, that, that's, that's how well those guys read, you know? Some of those guys were actually side reading this music, you know, <laughs> which is and insane. People, you know, that's exactly, crazy. <laughs> exactly. But I'm telling you, man, that the, the way the level of the reading, like, you know, when I was running the big band at the Academy, I mean, we guys are playing at that level. 
you know? And when you get to New York, the, the whole, you know, you know, just looking at it from the perspective of New York musicians, they're not playing in military bands and they're in a different environment, whether they're playing shows or they're straight up jazz guys or straight up, you know, Afro Cuban guys or pop guys or whatever, you know, I mean, there's the there's subgenres in New York are in the millions, you know? So it's like the lifestyle, the pace of the city, the survival, the whole thing. It's like cats are playing the horns with, uh, you know, with different stuff on their mind, you know? Yeah. And, and you can hear it. And, and I don't know if our, this record sounds different to other people, but it sure as hell sounds different to me, you know? Hey, and, and I think that that's a really neat thing, you know? Uh, yes, I do. And, and I'm following exactly what you're saying. And it's, you know, to harken back to something you said earlier, it's like when you were the young cat in the naval band, right? You're yeah. pushing the envelope of the guys that have been there for five, six, seven, eight, fifteen 15 years, whatever the case may be. Um, yep. You know, cats in the, the big city, you know, I mean, how many horn players are there in New York City right now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you Millions. know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could fill a football stadium with world class horn players. So it's, Absolutely. you know, they understand I've got to take some kind of special sauce to this gig to make sure I get paid. You know, it's a, it's a, it comes from a different place is what I'm trying to say. Um, no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and, um, it's, uh, yeah, you, when you live in New York and, and I didn't stay in town for a long time. It's like when I first moved to New York, after I had left DC, I got to town. And as soon as I got to town, I got called to, to do a, a national touring Broadway show. And, and I, and I took the show, you know, for uh, mainly for financial reasons, because, you know, my kids were, well, my kids are still are in college now. The, the older ones in grad school, but you know, it was like I, what I really should have done was just to stay in New York and, and, and wait it out like everybody else does because that's what you need to do when you get into New York. But it was an opportunity that I couldn't turn down just because of where I was in my life. And then, of course, I ended up being out of town for almost a year, you know? <laughs> right. And, uh, and then when you come back, it's like, you know, I come back into town and I'm not a young guy. And it's like it, it, was, it was very difficult for me because, you know, when I was in D.C., I, there was a lot of stuff going on and I was extremely busy. And I get to New York and I'm watching the fish swim, you know, yeah, and it's right. like, uh, OK, uh, oh, yeah, that's right. I just showed up and I need to pay my dues just like everybody else. Nobody in New York cares what I did in D.C. or anything else. You know, it's like you got to you got to pay your dues just like everybody else. And, th- and that's the way that it works in that city, you know. Yeah. And so. Even as an old man coming into a, a very vibrant city, it's like, man, that was that was a that was an absolute wake up call, you know? Yeah, yeah, we I, totally. You know, I mean, I, I get it, and you know, I spent some time in Nashville a couple of weeks ago, and you know, I was talking to some of my Nashville friends, and and they were like, you know, I thought it was hard when I moved to town ten years ago. You know, try moving down here now and trying yeah. to get a gig. He was like, you know, there's. Yeah you know, 2000 people a day show up with an instrument down here. You know, it's, uh, it it is hard, but, um, so the the new record, I want to make sure we talk a little bit about the new record. It is called upwards. And, you know, by the time this goes to air here in a, in a week or so, you know, we're recording this on November 11th. The, the street date for this was, was last Friday, correct? Correct. 
Okay. So, so by the time everybody gets to hear this, the, the record will have been on the street for, you know, a couple of weeks. Um, first of all, let me just say that sonically it is just a, a fantastic record. Um, it sounds amazing. And Thank you. I, I also want to say, you know, you said I can't really classify it. Neither can I. You know, I mean, some some of it is definitely, you know, Latin. Uh, you know, some of it is is definitely bop, um, but some of it is not. So, yeah. How did this set of songs come together? Was this, you know, is this something that's been brewing for a year or so, or was it a hey, everybody, let's show up in the studio and jam? Yeah, that man, that's a great question, and thank you for asking that. Um, for me, you know, like making my own record is about the most torturous thing that I can do, you know? Amen. I, it really is. It is absolutely torturous for me, not only because I'm not a big fan of my own playing, but just making sure that, uh, like, you know, the way that people listen to music right now, and, and this is no, I'm, I'm not trying to slight anyone, nobody listens to records anymore. People yeah. listen to songs, you know? And so, and to me, when you're making a record, making a record is like telling a story, you know? And, um, there, you know, and there's good stories and bad stories. And, and bad stories usually tend to make people not want to listen to them, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so people, t- people tend to close the book and then go back to the computer, you know? Yeah. But um, so uh, it, it was very interesting because I did... The, the tunes that were going to be on this record changed many, many times. And uh, what had happened was, well, first of all, like, for instance, with Caravan. Um, the thing with Caravan was, and as you know, you know, this is a big uh, celebratory year for Art Blakey. Yes. Um, you know, I was, I, I usually, I mean, we have done it in the past, but, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of presenting new music and, you know, if you are going to go down the, the path of regurgitating someone's beautiful song, uh, hopefully it's going to be in a, in a different life, you know? And so with the caravan thing, you know, I've been listening to, you know, Blakey's caravan record, you know, as everybody does, it's such a great record. I'm like, man, we need to do this different. But I, I had been experimenting just rhythmically with some stuff, with some, just some 6 eight stuff that I had been messing around with. And, and so basically the, the, the whole uh, kind of underlying premise that I came up with Caravan was sort of shifting. The groove is, is sort of shifting. You know, now we're getting into the old uh, drumnastic <laughs> talk. But, uh, but, but the groove is basically, basically shifted over an eighth note. So, so the bass line is, is sort of in the spirit of the old bass line from the, from the Blakey record, but it's displaced. And so, so there's like a couple of different things happening going on. So the melody is, is still playing in, in what we would consider to be sort of a straight up type fashion, but the groove is displaced, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I think once someone can hear that sonically and really hear what's going on and, and hopefully I, I pray they understand it, um, it's really kind of a neat, um, experience, you know? It's just like a really neat thing to listen to because you're, you know, everybody who's, you know, is a fan or or has heard Art Blakey's music, 
or caravan, which has been recorded, you know, four billion times, it's kind of, you're hearing the tune on two different planes, you yeah. know? Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah. And, you know, so something like that, that tune came out of, you know, uh, that's where that came from. But like, for instance, you know, the tune upwards, um, Manuel Valera, who in my opinion is one of the greatest pianists in the world and is also an amazing writer. Um, when he, uh, when I was putting the roster together, you know, he had asked me, you know, if I, if, if he could contribute to the record, you know, and, um, for financial reasons, I, I did not have the dough to commission him or, and I didn't have out of respect to him. I wasn't going to ask him to, you know, write something and not be able to pay him what I know he should be paid. So we actually went down the road of taking some of his small group music and putting it in the big band. And, and he now has his own big band in New York. And, and I know that he's going to be recording at some point. And I, I know that he's not going to be recording um, any of his small group music. He's going to be writing all new big band music, but I've always been a huge fan of his music because he's a, he's a Cuban born pianist and you know, his rhythmic thing is just ridiculous, you know? Yeah. And, and in addition to his melodic thing, which is also, you know, amazing. And so we started throwing around some ideas for, for some of the small group tunes and upwards and the tune Isabelita were the two tunes that we came up with that had not been um, recorded in a big band form. And, and I just absolutely love both of these tunes, you know, and, and, and that's how they ended up on the record. And um, Vinny Valentino, the guitar player on the record, we've got two of his songs on here. The tune J-Ben is actually a tune that was written for the, the great uh, New York uh, bass player, John Bonitez, who's an amazing bass player who yeah. has had a wonderful career, you know. But, but what we did with that tune was I took the melody of J-Ben, and again, we, we, we rhythmically changed the, the, the melody and put it to a different feel. So, so now, now that, you know, the, if, you, if you're familiar with uh, the original version of it, it's a straight eighth version. Um, we did it in 12-8, but again, we changed the melody. So um, rhythmically, the melody, at least in, in my ear, is um, we, we just sort of like rhythmically put a little more tension in the melody. And then combined it with sections of the straight eight original version. So you would, it was sort of like a tension and release type thing when you listen to the melody. So then when it goes into the straight eight thing, it's sort of a release from that 12 eight vibe, but then it goes back, you know, and, and that was kind of the, the, uh, uh, the, the gen, I guess the genesis of you will behind that. And, um, and then, uh, we have, Boris Kozlov, the bass player in the band, he's got, you know, that, a really great tune called Nostalgia in Time. And, and, and that's just a tune that, like, to me, I mean, you sort of hear it in Afro-Cuban, but then just sort of hearing it straight up. And, and what we ended up doing in the studio, like what you said earlier was, I don't know how it happened. You know, we just sort of mutated into sort of like a funky thing uh, you know, that happened there that day. And, you know, it just kind of, kind of got sort of got into like a rock kind of vibe and it just sort of went where it did. And then Vinny put like that whammy guitar sound on there. And it was just, it was just super cool, you know, and, and, and I didn't expect any of that, you know, that was um, something that, that came out of the session. 
so, yeah, you know, that, that's how those tunes came together. And then the five for Elvin thing. Okay, here we go. Yeah. All right, get ready for this. All right. Now, there's a, sto- there's a story behind this one. So, so five for Elvin uh, was recorded by Dave um, a while back with the Caribbean Jazz Project, and we recorded it um, on the record that we won the Latin Grammy. Um, but the, the guy who did the arrangement of this song, Alex Brown, is an amazing pianist that, that I actually knew in D.C. And then he ended up in, in, in New York and um, he plays in Paquito de Rivera's band and he's doing all sorts of stuff in New York. And, um, uh, and so he wrote the tune in a different clave. So okay. the tune w- was, uh, had been recorded in 3-2, even though the tune is in 5. But, but he wrote uh, an arrangement of the tune being in 2-3, which is just, to me, was just absolutely amazing, you know? Yeah, that's a mind and, warp and I, right I, there. I, yeah, man. And, and, and he had, um, he wrote some, like, kind of, uh, he had kind of a straight-ahead vibe in it, too, as sort of like a nod to Elvis, you know? Of yeah. course, five for Elvis, right? Right. So, and I just really loved the arrangement. I was like, man, we got to do this, you know? And of course, you know, the clave is different. So, you know, I think the, you know, the clave police might have gotten a little, a little disgruntled about that at some point. But as a, that's, as that's okay. You, they don't, they don't have arrest powers yeah. in New York. So, yeah. well, well, I, well, the thing is, like I said earlier at the beginning of our conversation, you know, I've gotten to this old fart stage of my life where, you know, it's like some people are going to dig things and some people aren't. And it's like, well, if you don't like it, don't listen to it. You know, yeah, well, so, you, um, you can only satisfy yeah. yourself, Joe. I mean, at, yeah, the, at, well, the, at the end of the day, it's your name on it. So you, you yeah. do what you like, right? Yeah. And, but I, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, in a statement like that, I think, you know, there, there's a, you know, a, a level of integrity that all of us, you know, have that we deal with in whatever way that we deal with it. And it's like, you know, I would, I would never, ever put out anything in any recorded capacity that, that I didn't honestly know in my heart that I gave it what I needed to give it. And I know that I did that, you know, not only with that arrangement, but with anything on that record. And, you know, I, I know that some people aren't going to like it and I'm to- I'm 100% fine with that, but yeah. I, that record is as sincere as any recorded piece of music on this planet, you know? Yeah. Well, and, uh, I- you said a mouthful there, and, and I, I do want to point out that's why I'm not really cut out for you know record label you know type stuff. I, I'm a rock guy, but when the A and R guy comes in and says, "Hey, can't you write something that's more like Aerosmith?" Well, then that just right. becomes pandering, right? You're yep. at that point, you're just trying to sell crap, and exactly, you, you know, you're you're not expressing yourself you're not being true to yourself as an artist you know not that yep. i would call myself an artist but at, at some point you got to put your stake in the ground and say this is what i'm willing you know this is the hill i'm willing to die on this is what i want to exactly. put out you know yeah i mean i mean like you think about it it's like you know putting out a freaking uh afro-cuban big band record isn't the smartest thing in the world to do you know you're not really I mean, looking least, for sales yeah right? <laughs> i mean i mean my god i've lost more money with this band than probably any anybody in the world so it's like you know it, it's like you know when you're doing these kind of things you know i i, I just you know you really have to have a reason for wanting to to, to do this that is a genuine reason 
you know, based on something other than sale. Right. You know? Right. And, uh, yeah, and, and that's, that's this 100%, man. You know, I, this is a, a, an absolute love-hate relationship. But um, I, I can say that, um, I, I, you know, regardless of how the record is received by everybody else, I mean, I, um, it's, kind, it's kind of weird because I, um, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if, if I'm, you know, playing the drums very good right now. But I... I, I feel good about the whole record, you know? Yeah. You know, I can sit there and, and, and pull my own shit apart, and, and that is what it is, you know? But I, at this point in my life, I mean, what, what good is that going to do me? You know, it's like, you know, getting back to the, the paradiddle thing. It's like, you know, that's the way I played that day. You know, this is the way the band sounds. And, you know, for like you said, for that captured moment. And, but, but I think the vibe of the record is genuine, you know? It, it, and, well, and to me, that's the most important thing. That's yeah, it. it I, I mean, it's certainly authentic. I mean, I'll, I'll give you that, you know. And yeah. so l- let me ask this, and I'm just curious of your opinion on it. You know, I, there, I, I would much rather go in and do a record where my playing isn't, you know, just phenomenal, but everybody else is playing really well than to have a record where my playing was stellar and it lacks life, or everybody else kind of mailed it in, so to speak. You know, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely, I, I agree with you 100%. I am absolutely, I am much more concerned about the sound of the band than myself. Yeah. 100 freaking percent. Now, if I'm not doing my job, now that's a whole different story. Right. If I don't have my shit together, and, and maybe there are certain things where, yes, I wish I could have played it better, but, you know, a lot of people, they make records. And then they go and redo the whole freaking drum track because of this or that. No way. No way (laughs) would I do that shit. No way. What you got, what you heard is what happened that day for better or for worse. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And it's like, you know, know, because if that's your reason for making the record, then just make a solo drum set record. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you can play along with tracks and you can do all your tricks and all that shit and I mean, that's not, a, to me, that's not a record. That's like, a, you know, I, I always use that word drumnastics. It's like, you know, like cats that are playing the instrument because of the physicality of it. It's like, I, I don't play drums for that reason. And man, I can't hang in that arena. I'm not that kind of drummer. Yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a drummer that, you know, I, I want to make music with other people. And, and I want, you know, the, the feeling of, 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 you know, getting to the end of the track and, and, the, and everything is happening with everybody else. That's far more important to me than, you know, I played this, uh, uh, Kimiolo, how you done, flip over backward thingy. I don't care about any of that. You know, yeah. I, I don't, that doesn't mean anything to me. So. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I like listening to that stuff as much as the next drummer. Right. I mean, sure, I, I mean, sure, I, I grew up in the world of Rush and, and Neil and, and, you know, all these great, great, great drummers that can just do anything. You know, Thomas Lang, Marco Miniman, oh, you know, yes, but you know what? But those guys, their drumming is genuine and it's sincere. That that is for real. It's like, you know, when you hear those guys playing that stuff, like the first time I think I heard. And I, again, I, I'll be honest, I don't listen to a lot of it, but I remember the first time I heard Virgil Donati, I was like, what the F is going on right now? <laughs> right. You know? I mean, is that really happening right now? Or, or I remember the first time I met Horacio, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I was like, I, I, I think I 
I was questioning my existence on the planet after I heard that shit, you know? Yeah. It was like, okay, I, I, I guess I've got a little bit of work to do here. But, man, it's like I, I, when you hear the guys, the guys that you mentioned are guys that have, you know, have, well, like you said, have put some stakes in the ground, and they've made some statements that have rattled some cages. You know what I mean? I do. But the stuff is, but it's sincere. Yeah. That's the way they play. It's not, you know, like then you get other guys that, that hear that stuff and then they're trying to go after that when they ain't ready to do that. You know, it's like, leave it alone, man. Leave it alone because it's been done very well. And it's like, now you take that and then you run in your direction. And it's like the same thing, like when people talk about Afro-Cuban stuff with me, I'm not going to ever compare myself to Horacio or Daphnis or Ignacio or any of those cats. No way. You know, I'm just me, you know, trying to trying to represent the music the best way I can from my perspective. And I am in no way trying to um, uh, recreate uh, music from a, a very like if you're talking specifically about Afro-Cuban music. Afro-Bop right. Alliance is a jazz band that is a jazz band that plays with and has been inspired by the music of Cuba, Africa, South America, every, the Caribbean, e everywhere from around the world. It's not a salsa band. It's not a Cuban band. It's just my interpretation of all of the music that I love so much, which is not, could not be classified in one genre, you know? Right. And, well, and that is the reason that I started the band, because I love playing straight-ahead music as much as I love Afro-Cuban, as much as I love playing a pop gig, I, I love all of that music equally, and, and I, I pray that people can hear that in the band, you know? Yes, I, I absolutely do. And, you know, you, you brought up a really good point in there. You know, you grew up in the jazz world. I grew up in the rock world. And I, I think what we're both trying to say, you know, I've had Daphnis on the show. I've had El Negro on the show. If you went out and tried to do what they're doing, it would be inauthentic. Just like if, exactly. if I tried to do what Thomas Lang and Marco Miniman and Virgil Donati do, first of all, I, I, I couldn't even get close to it, but it would be obvious that I'm a fraud in trying to accomplish that stuff. Exactly. I, you, know, you know what I think the, the best thing about when we hear these drummers? This is like another subject. It's like, you know, if somebody hears somebody who's really cooking or doing some new shit that's amazing... Like when people get mad about that stuff or it's like, oh, I could do that stuff. Or it's like, man, that, that's not why these people are playing this music. Not right. so you can get pissed off because you can't do it. People play music. It's people, I guess people forget the whole thing. It's like we listen to music to be inspired. Exactly. When I hear great musicians, I don't care if someone's playing a kazoo. If they're playing it well, I'm inspired. And, that is, and if you don't get that out of music, you're in the wrong damn business. You know, yeah. and drummers, you know how drummers are, you know, drummers get to be so competitive and, you know, like, you know, somebody did this, someone comes out with a great record and then this other cat's not going to talk to him because they're mad that they made a good record. Goodness gracious, man. Don't, don't do that. Life is too short for that. You know, yeah. it's like be inspired by what people do and let that, um, you know, instead of trying to, you know, rip off somebody verbatim, let it, you know, let it grow out of your own thing. To me, that, that's the beautiful part of, you know, 
why, you know, when we hear just amazing musicians, it's like, that, that's why we do this. At least that's why I think we should do this. Absolutely. So, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you have to develop your own voice on the instrument. And, yes. You, yes. you know, and I know you're a guy like me. Every time I go see a band, I'm stealing something from the drummer. Of course. You of know, course. Steal, you, you steal as much as you can, man. But it's got it's got to come back out of your own soul. You know? Yeah. Well, and, you, and, we all have our own know? filter that that stuff comes through, you know, and, and that's yeah. that's what's so cool about it. Um, Joe, I, I want to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much. Um, oh, as man. You know, this has been a great conversation and we've got to do this again because I think, you know, I think you and I could sit and talk about this stuff for days, to be honest with you. Yeah, you know, and and thank you so much for having this type of forum because, you know, it's um, as I've gotten older, I think, you know, when we're talking about, you know, why we play the drums, having these types of conversations to me, I think is more important. Been talking about, you know, I played this uh, double para, how you doing on this tune. It's like, man, we need to talk about why we play the drums. And, and that, to me, that, that's what really inspired, like, my conversation with you has inspired me, you know? Oh, wow. And, and that's, that's, that's the shit, you know? Yeah, well, it's very kind of you to say that. And, you know, as I've said, you know, I'm coming up on two years of doing the drum shuffle here. Um, and, you know, I, I've always just wanted it to be a conversation between two musicians, you know, and, yep. and let's talk about what made you who you are, how did you get here, and why that's important. You know, uh, again, I, if you want to know the fill that Joe did at two minutes and 13 seconds of, you know. Don't ask me. <laughs> right. But I mean, <laughs> there's YouTube for that, right? I mean, you can find uh, all these tutorials everywhere on, you know, what Bonham played in the 37th measure of when the levee breaks. It's there. Yep. Um, You're right. This this isn't the place for it. You know, that that's I've just always tried to be about, you know, let's talk and let's figure yeah, out what man. makes what makes our guests tick. So um, to that end, as is the tradition here on the drum shuffle, I'm going to put you on the spot here. This is where we ask you for a good piece of advice for other drummers and other musicians uh, in your career. What have you learned that you can share with us that we should all be using every day? You know, and that, that, that is a great question. I think I, I don't, you know, I also do a lot of teaching in addition to playing, you know, and I think that I don't know if it's because of the physical nature of our instrument, um, uh, I, or, or just drummers in general. I, I mean, I don't know, really know what it is, but I think that it is absolutely essential for people to really step back and, and really analyze why they are playing the drums. Why are you playing the drums? Uh-huh. You know, and, and if it's in, in, in our arena of doing it for a living, the, 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 I think the most important word to me these days is being genuine and being sincere. Mm-hmm. And when you get behind the instrument, no, wherever it is that you play, you know, a lot of people take gigs because they need to make money. And then they show up on the gig and they punish everybody in the band because they really don't <laughs> want to be there because they want to be on another gig. Right. So yeah. when you sit behind the drums, play the drums like it's one of your children your girlfriend, your wife, your parents, 
love, you know what I mean? Make love to your drums and don't play your drums because you're pissed off at somebody. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like be sincere and, and play music because, you know, like if you think about it, why did, if I were to ask you and you're asking me the question, why did you start playing the drums? What would you say? What would you say? Um, you know, it's all I ever thought about as a kid, uh-huh. you know, yep. it, it wasn't to, you know, pick up girls or, you know, to be famous or anything like that. It was just such a part of my soul, my physical yep. being. I, I, you know, I ate, slept, you know, walked, talked drums and nothing but from the time I was about 10 years old on. And I don't even know where that started, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I I think it has something to do with Tommy Lee flying upside down in a in a music (laughs) video. I was like, holy shit, I have to do that. I have to do that. You know, I mean, it just it it just looked like, you know, I, I don't know, the most fun thing on earth. There you go. You just said it right there because you you wanted to have fun. Yeah. And it was part of your soul. So it's like when we go through life and then we have to start playing, uh, you know, paying the bills to play our drums or, you know, whether or not that needs that for some people, if that gets taken away because they can't pay their bills, I think we can never lose sight of why we decided we had learned it or we had wanted to play drums to begin with. Yeah. And I think that's the most important thing because I think for some of us, we lose sight um, and for whatever reason it is, if it's because of a financial reason, um, for some people it could be a physical reason, you know, maybe you can't play because of, you know, if something happened to you or God forbid someone wasn't able to physically be able to get behind the drums and do what they do. I think we, we should never lose sight of why we decided to play the drums. I think that that is one of the most important things because I think, you know, we get so sidebarred with all this other stuff. And then, you know, that, that's not why we started to play drums to begin with. You know, be genuine, be sincere, you know. That, yeah. that's, um, I, I think that's the only way that you can honestly make music. And, you know, I, I, I just think that, you know, at this point in my life, I think that's just the most important thing. When you get behind your drums, you know, play your drums. Play your drums. Yeah. You know? Man, that's... Joe, that's great advice. Um, you know, I, and you know, you, you, you said something in there that I just want to put a little bit of a point on, you know, drummers showing up to a gig that they don't really want. And I'm just going to remind all of our listeners here. I've taken gigs before that I didn't want to be on, but everybody has. (laughs) Absolutely. If you're trying to make a living anyway, you know, I mean, I've been on some horrible country gigs, you know, where it's just like, you know, it's the music just doesn't speak to me. It's not all that much fun for me, but you have yep. to approach it as though your next opportunity may come from this. And some, some of those horrible country gigs that I played on, you make a connection with the bass player or the guitarist. There you go. And, there you go. And it leads to a really cool rock gig three months from yep. now or whatever the case may be. So, you, and you never know. You, you never know you what's going to come out of anything, you know. But the thing is, you know, it, it's like it, it's um, I mean, that's the only way that we can survive, you know, because there's so many people that play all of the instruments that 
everybody, even the people in the audience, the people in the band, your family, your friends, people know if you're, if you're talking straight or if you're playing straight. You know, just be straight. You know what I mean? I do. Do, do, do your thing, man. Do your thing, whatever it is. And if it's for some reason, if it's, you know, not as technically cool as this guy or it's not as with this guy or this girl or what, who cares? Do your thing and feel good about your thing. So then it's not going to always be like, well, man, I, I wish I could do this. Like, so man, life's too short for that shit. Just play the drums and enjoy yourself and realize that, you know what? We're all lucky to be able to do this, you know? Yeah, yeah man, that's words of wisdom right there from the great Joe McCarthy, folks. Joe, <laughs> one last thing before we let you go. Thank you so much for doing this. We'll do it again, but give everybody the website, the links, all that good stuff. If somebody wants to, to reach out and connect, tell us where we can find you. Great. Yeah. And, and thank you again, man, so much. This, this was a great chat to me. Um, oh, my pleasure. The, um, let's, uh, if, uh, if people want to get in touch with me, they, uh, the easiest thing to do is just go to my website. And, and the website is also for the band, too. And it's very easy. It's just JoeMcCarthyMusic.com. And um, you, can, you can basically find out whatever it is that you need to find there. And my email is on there as well, too. And, you know, and if anybody you know, has any, you know, anything good or bad or whatever, you know, uh, about our conversation or about the records or any, anything I've done, I, I would, I would uh, love to chat with anybody, you know, it's, um, it's a, it, uh, we have a wonderful community and, um, you know, it's a, I, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here chatting with you and, you know, uh, I, I look forward to our next chat and, uh, and I, and I hope people get a chance to check out the record because uh, the record is, it's, um, well, as I've been shooting my big mouth off, it's very sincere. <laughs> yes, it's a great record, and I encourage everybody to pick up a copy. Now, I'm going to say this again. I say this almost on every episode. It's available everywhere. You know, Apple Music, yep. Spotify, it's available at all those places. But I also noticed that you have a CD Baby link. Folks, yep. buy this in physical form from CD Baby. That's what helps Joe pay the bills the most. If you stream it yeah. a billion times, Joe will be a hundred air, not a millionaire, yeah. a hundred air. Yeah. If you I'll, I'll, I'll be a, I'll be a negative hundred air, which yeah. I already am. So we're, don't we're, make it any worse, everybody. Exactly. <laughs> if you want to make a million dollars playing the drums, start with $2 million. You will be, yeah. you, you will end up with a million. I guarantee it. Joe, yeah, you might even want to start off with like 4 million. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Joe, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the drum shuffle. We will do this again very, very soon. All right, man. Thank you. Uh, take care of yourself and, uh, and, and also everybody else. Thank you for listening, and uh, we'll, we'll see all of you around. Thanks. Absolutely. See you, Joe. Okay. All right, guys and girls, that's going to wrap up Episode 82 of The Drum Shuffle. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. We simply cannot do this show without each and every one of you listening to us week in and week out. As always, I'm going to ask you to hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you use to listen into the Drum Shuffle. We're going to have plenty of great interviews coming up that you're certainly not going to want to miss. Now, with that being said, 
Next week is Thanksgiving, so there will be no episode next week. I'm going to give everybody a break. Uh, I've got to go pick up my daughter from Ballet Conservatory next week, get her home for the holidays. So we'll be taking a little bit of a hiatus next week for Thanksgiving. Then we'll be back the week after that. So uh, make sure you hit that subscribe button. As always, we do answer every single email that we receive here. The Drum Shuffle Podcast at gmail.com is where you can reach out to us. Our web address is thedrumshuffle.com, and you can always find more information about my shenanigans over at jamieeds.com. Uh, for the first time in my career, I have actually done a session of Christmas music, so that's coming up here uh, before too long. I'm excited about that. Got all kinds of cool stuff going on, um, so please make sure you check out jamieeds.com. Click on those social media links. You can follow me there as well. I do try to stay a little bit more active on the social media networks of Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So again, thank you all so much for tuning in. We certainly can't do it without you guys. So until next time, may your heads stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers, everybody. Cheers.